Hi, I'm Eloy Ortiz Oakley, and welcome back to The Rent, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and break down the people, the policies, and the politics of our higher education system. In this episode, I finalized my conversations with key innovators that I ran into at the recent ASU GSV Summit in San Diego. Today, I'm talking with Deborah Quazzo, managing partner at GSV Ventures and co-founder of the ASU GSV Summit. Welcome to The Rant, Deborah. Thank you, Eloy. It is delightful to be here. It's see great you. to see you as well. So let's jump into some of these questions. Deborah, you are the managing partner at GSV Ventures and the co-founder of the ASU GSV Summit, which is now, I think, in its 14th year. We just finished the 14th Just finished one. the 14th. We got... Yeah, well, COVID sort of messed us up a little bit. But we start, started, we did start in 2010, and we just finished the 14th event. And so next year will wow. be our 15th. Time flies. Yeah. I know. Crazy. So for our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to your interest in education technology. And also tell us a little bit about GSV Ventures and how you wound up partnering with Michael Crow and Arizona State University to launch all of this. I, I have been working with my partner, Michael Moe, in education innovation and education technology for frighteningly over 25 <laughs> years. And so we're, we're we hit 25 and we decided not to add any more right. years onto it. So it is over 25. Now we're just going to go with over 25 years until it, you know, until it gets to 100 or something. But so we've been working a long time in the sector, obviously, way before any, what anything material was happening as it related to the application of technology. And and. I, and we did that as investment bankers and research analysts and conveners and things and things like that over the initial period. And that's kind of how we how we came at it initially. Back 20, probably 2009 or so, Michael Moe had the incredible opportunity to join an innovation committee at Arizona State. Neither one of us had any alumni mm-hmm. tie, but he got a bit of a chance to see what Michael Crow had going on under the hood. Because in 20, 2010, as you remember, Eloy, it would not have been an obvious choice to align yourself with Arizona State <laughs> if you were trying to say that you know you were you were you wanted to do something related to being a leader in technology and a leader in academic performance and all that sort of thing. They were the largest public university, but had yet to begin to turn over the cards in terms of what Michael Crow had going on under the hood to d- to basically transform the university into a place that was measured by its impact on students, not not the students they kept out, but the, but but through the admissions of, of more and more students and putting those more and more students through to great to great success. So we're very fortunate when we when we did that partnering back in 20, you know, as the first event was 2010. So back in 2009 or whatever, whatever the original set of meetings was, Michael really at some point suggests, Michael Moe suggested to Michael Crow that why don't you try to do some sort of convening that really showcased what, what was going on in the world of education innovation and transformation, and particularly as it related to the application of technology. When we started ASU, I think had four technology <laughs> partners. Today, they probably right. have 4,000. If you really, if you really got in there and tried to count them. So it was, it was a really fortuitous partnering that happened. It's been you know, pretty remarkable to, to be a partner with the largest public university in the country for 15 mm-hmm. years and have it be so smooth. And they even joined us in partnering on a smaller event we did this February in, in, in India because wow. they're obviously spreading mm-hmm. their wings into global markets all over the world. And so it's really been terrific. It's really, it's been remarkable. And it's it's given us a, it's also given us such a window. I mean, they are an innovation machine. And 
and for us to be able to you know go on to campus and I tell people all the time if you've got two days to do a to do a road trip to Arizona State and just see the kinds of innovation that's that's happening there on a thousand different levels you know I highly recommend it it can be transformative but but yeah so that was really the history I got passionate I was really as an investment banker I, it became obvious to me that that the, the the wedge of of innovation and being able to deliver high quality education at scale to many millions of people, not only in the United States but in the world, was something that was one of the few thing few levers we have to make a difference. I know that's that's something you know, preaching to the choir on that one, but that's that's kind of when I got hooked and and realized that we could do more than than we to being a trans you know some, somebody who was transacting right. in the sector to actually be very involved philanthropically from a policy perspective and then from this convening perspective i think it's you know we are really proud of the what we built starting in you know 2010 we were back at arizona state sky song facility in, in scottsdale as we like to say 350 people in sweaty <laughs> conference rooms we were able to you know outgrow that and and this year had record mm-hmm. attendance you know with over 7000 people registered and 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 somewhere just just under seven thousand being there live. Although I hear from lots of, lots of folks that there are probably three thousand people who don't who don't who are who are there who don't. <laughs> yeah, they just hang, hanging, hang around, hanging around that's the right. event. And that's and that's all great too. So I think anything we can do to to, to catalyze these diverse sets of humans from you know that I mean, the, when we started this it was as my partner Michael said a, a strange mm-hmm. cocktail of people who didn't typically get in the same room together. So EdTech founders with philanthropists, with investors, with practitioners in the K-12 higher ed and workforce spaces. So the whole idea is to really mash people up and catalyze and inspire people to take actions as they come out of the event. Well, having attended many SUGSV summits, I, I can say that, uh, yeah, player. I can say that uh, it has truly continued to grow. It's a fun event. Lots of different people. And where else can you see the Undersecretary of Education with a former Secretary of Education with some of the top ed tech founders all together talking about how the federal government regulates right. ed tech? So right. I thought it was, I, however you landed Thank on this, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Now, ASU GSV highlights some of the more cutting edge ideas and trends in education technology. I think anybody who works in and around ed tech is there. And as you said, you've been to many of these. What excited you about what you saw at this year's summit in San Diego? We had already positioned the theme for this year, which was Brave Mm -hmm. New World and and well ahead of the emergence of of ChatGPT and the whole GPT phenomenon. So it turned out to be pretty, pretty fortuitous, either prescient or fortuitous <laughs> or whatever it was. It turned out to be a pretty good theme for what's going on in the world. So what we did was we, we've always had artificial intelligence and emerging technologies embedded in the program. We, you know, from the, from the very beginning, obviously it was not generative art, artificial intelligence. since that really is, is, an, is something that emerged and fully emerged in, in the January mm-hmm. time period. But we've always had a big eye on what things can, what what can, what kinds of technologies can be leveraged to to accelerate learning, and so to accelerate learning, to accelerate you know assessment. We all know we're sitting here with massive learning loss. Right. It wasn't great going into COVID. We weren't you know, we were not educating enough of our children in the K twelve system going into COVID, but coming out coming out of COVID, and we're just you know we're continuing to see depressing research released 
the research report from Tom Kane and Sean from Harvard and Stanford came out you know, this week, just again, mm-hmm. reiterating the loss has not been recovered. That and then and looking at lo- location-based analysis of where that where the losses are the most severe, and trying to also isolate factors that that have caused the severity, and what do we do to solve it? So, I think one of the, as you think about that daunting challenge, which then, as you well know, is inherited into the right. higher ed system, and then is inherited into the employment system, and then you know the whole whatever 60 percent of people avoid uh, don't go into the higher ed system, go directly in the employment system. So. We've always viewed the employer as the fourth education system because mm-hmm. they're having to right. be right. They're in, they're inheriting failures downstream, and they're and they're inheriting the obsolete the challenges of obsolescence, you know, job obsolescence. So we we do believe, you know, I appreciate there is positive and the negative around what's going on with generative AI. There was a the Atlantic has a big article this week on just the. the frustrations that university professors are, are, are facing, particularly writing professors about, well, you know, what do I do? Mm-hmm. How do I address this? When, when how, what is, you know, how do you teach writing when 90% of your kids are using chat GPT or, or whatever? But I, I, I really do think that issue is, you know, that issue, it's hard to put it aside, but that issue, the ability to, to leverage generative AI in a way that, and, and non-generative mm-hmm. AI, in a way that's, that can allow us to accelerate learning, make it personalized, help teachers and faculty members, you know, address more kids at disparate points of ability because of, you know, learning they did or didn't have, have in prior periods. I think it is a real cause for optimism. And there, you know, we had, I think, the vast majority of leading edge companies in the, in the generative AI space. We also had, you know, other companies like like a company we've invested in with Arizona State University, right. Dreamscape Learn, which is a VR-based platform, which will also have artificial intelligence in it, you know, over time in, in its delivery. But, but you know, that company is seeing really accelerated learning gains from students that go through biology, you, you know, using the Dreamscape system. So I think where we get excited, because if you really look at it, and, and we've had a lot of conversations about this, we've been, you know, the, the summit's in its 15th year and we've we've had i don't know how many decades now two decades at least of of mm-hmm. ed tech or the application of technology to, to education and skills and when we haven't made much progress right. and there are a lot of reasons for that it's not that all the ed tech's bad it's you know it's certainly fidelity of implementation it's challenges that young people face in their personal lives it's challenges teachers face faculty you know so it's a, there are a host of issues for why we haven't been more successful in moving the needle on academic and skill, skill-based skill outcomes. We have some real optimism and hopefulness that there is, that we are at a moment of complete revolution and that there will be, that the delivery of learning can be transformed through the leveraging of some of these technologies to support teachers, faculty, students. And that's where we get more optimistic, more hopeful. And it's also, I think the other thing that's kind of cool is, and we saw it because there were so many, it's also drawing more creative right. founders into the ed tech sector. So we're seeing people pouring out of Google, pouring out of, I mean, you know, great leaders out of Google, great leaders out of Microsoft, Amazon. Certainly you'll see, all, you'll see some really exciting companies created by very experienced, very smart people who not only understand the technology, but they also understand education. Mm-hmm. So they come out of the, you know, they, a lot of them are coming out of the education efforts 
of those large companies. And and so I think that's also exciting because it's sort of a new wave. You know, innovation requires innovators right. and great innovators. And 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 that's true whether you're talking about a company or a university or a, a K-12 system or the workforce. We're seeing incredible innovations with K-12 mm-hmm. teachers and, and principals and leaders at the higher led higher ed space as well. So while I think there is a lot of angst, mm-hmm. there's certainly a, a level of anxiety about what this means for your job right. or how you, t- you know, how you have to change things. I do think net net, it's going to give us a shot at trying to, trying to pull in these gaps that have existed for too long, but have been exacerbated by the years in COVID and, and are going to be even further exacerbated by the rapid move of mm-hmm. technology. Well, I'm hopeful as well. I think this march toward personalization continues, and I, I've certainly seen progress living with a huge education organization pre-pandemic and then seeing it uh, quickly evolve through the pandemic and now post-pandemic. I definitely see the change. Yeah. Now, you mentioned more traditional educators. I know in my conversations with some of the founders and some of the edtech folks, some of them expressed a desire to see more traditional educators at, at the summit. How do you think we can pull them in and get them to see the value of, of hearing all this great work that's happening throughout the edtech sector? What we did this year, and I mean, we are a leadership mm-hmm. summit, right? A lot of great education events, right. in K-12, higher ed, and workforce. And we've always wanted to carve out kind of our position as intentionally focused on 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 leadership. So we're whether it's in K-12, where we have a massive scholarship program for principals and superintendents. In higher ed, we really, and, and we doubled down on the K-12 p- community piece. We had over 1,100 principals and superintendents representing 47 of 50 wow. states, which is, we, you, know, you know, off the charts. And that was up from maybe 800 mm-hmm. last year. What we did on the higher ed side, we actually were up by three or okay. four fold in the higher Great. ed space. We actually went out intentionally. I think that we real we came out of the summit in 2022. We looked at att- the attendee base. And we said, well, actually, you know, we have, and we, we, you know, we sort of think of the summit in 10% blocks. And we said, well, we actually have 10% of, of attendees come from higher education. But when you peel it back, we realized that the numbers were being dominated by the big guys, right? So whether it was mm-hmm. ASU or right. Western Governors or right. Southern New Hampshire or, you know, folks like that, we're sending large numbers of people to the summit because it was so productive for them to meet to meet probably ed tech companies and things like that. We weren't getting smaller universities and other universities that who I think didn't feel like it was their you know it was a neighborhood right. that they would be welcome. <laughs> and I think and there's you know some of that of that is a unintended intimidation from from ASU and how big ASU is and all that sort of thing. So we actually went out intentionally this year began to work with university organizations like mm-hmm. CIC and Marjorie Haas, who is absolutely fantastic. They brought, and I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but they brought a huge number of, pre- of university, you know, smaller, mid-sized university presidents. I had a wonderful, I'm not going to remember university, but a wonderful man grabbed me at our, our closing piece on Wednesday night and said, this has been amazing. I am scared to death. I'm going back to campus and I'm going as a president of a, a smaller uh-huh. university. So we really intentionally realize that that the event, I mean, is not meant to preach to the choir. So if it's just ASU preaching to ASU or, or Western government or whomever, then we haven't really accomplished what we wanted. So we did really, we did appreciably increase the community attendance in the higher ed space. 
probably going to do something interesting next year about adding an expo at the front of it, which would be more mm-hmm. logical because it won't have a cost to it for fa- oh, for great. faculty and will allow companies and, and or- other organizations who want to interact with faculty and teachers. And so we're, we're, we're that's in the works of using leveraging the San Diego Conference Center, which is just right. a, you know, a building away from the Hyatt and, and having a, a free expo that directly proceeds and overlaps probably mm-hmm. one day of the of ASU GSV and gives real access to folks who who can come in for free and spend real time with technology providers and all that. So I think that I think that is a way for us to try to you know, embrace have access for across markets. But in ASU GSV event, the the idea was really to help to focus on leaders mm-hmm. and then have leaders go back and disseminate. We certainly have, you know, a number of faculty who come, but but it, the idea really was to have, you know, chancellors, provosts, right. presidents. We're not even, you know, because CTOs actually have edge mm-hmm. cause, you know, so it's not, we've never had had a big group there. But to really get the rest of the group in, a, in an environment where they can see the kind of innovation that's happening at, you know, at, at the most innovative places and and be inspired by it perhaps and go back and 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 proselytize a little bit and then and then hopefully we'll create some some ongoing groups that assemble together so we we'd like to double the higher ed group again and we've hit we've hit capacity on the summit itself we can't really go beyond seven thousand people at the current in the current venue and probably don't want to but we would we would be very interested in in in, uh, taking the higher ed group up probably another double one of the hopes through this podcast is to reach some of those folks that are really interested Good. in what's going on in higher ed, maybe leaders on their campuses, whether it's a community college or a regional four-year university, and get them interested in coming and, and just understanding what's going on. I think we found that some of these, the organizations, some of the, organi- the higher ed organizations, and I think we probably need to get to more of them, but we did some really great scholarship packaging mm-hmm. around admissions and hotel, and, and uh, I think that was really helpful, particularly for folks who have got, which is a lot, of the, a lot of universities and, and community colleges who are budget right. constrained and things like that and, and are outside of the catchment area of Southern California. So in addition to running this enterprise called ASU GSV Summit, you're also an investor in EdTech. Yep. I'm sure lots of startups are popping up talking about how they're going to leverage AI. As an investor, how do you look at those startups? What, what, what are you looking for in in yeah. the investments you're thinking about making and the kind of pitches that you're hearing from from various startups pretty much everyone has put ai onto their <laughs> you know generate gai generative ai onto their pitch i think that that's this, the, the real trick now is pulling mm-hmm. wheat from chaff and oh, by the way re- realizing of course every player in, in the market today almost every player in the market today is going to be applying, you know, generative AI to, to whether it's content production or whether it's chatbots to, you know, right, answer this right. or that or you know, get, you know, so everyone's doing, everyone is and has to do that. But the the the, the startup startups, the guys who are really starting from zero, what we are generally doing is finding incredibly talented mm-hmm. entrepreneurs who are who come out of tech backgrounds, who you know have who have incredible. In, you know insights and perspective on AI and where it's going and what's what's happening and and who have the ability to be 
rapidly flexible because even company we already back called Chiron Learning, for example, we were on with today. I mean, they've already seen a, you know an incredible widening of the addressable market they have. They start we're starting in K twelve. They're now seeing higher ed applications, and they're for, particularly for online universities, and they're seeing corporate applications. I mean, a lot of that actually came from interactions at ASU GSV, and so. We're trying to back very agile people who are also listening mm-hmm. really hard. It's always true that the vast majority of venture-backed companies don't make it. I think there is such a plethora, of, you know, folks jumping in here. If you hear AI tutor one more time, you're probably <laughs> going to, you know, tutor yourself. You, you sort of wonder at some point how many AI tutors can you actually have? And what does that mean? Or maybe it really needs to go to something else, you know, around, pers- to your point, around per- It's a reflection of personalization and a reflection of other elements of the learning delivery. So I think we're just trying to find the folks who are, who have deep rooted expertise and who are, who have, who, and therefore also not only in AI, but also in education, because I think they're going to, you're going to have a lot of folks jump in who don't have the education perspective. And as you and I both know, education is a lot harder industry than people appreciate it to be. And, and. And we're still, you know, we're still in the early innings of proving that ed tech is a successful tech category. And we've had some, we've had some incredible businesses built, but we haven't achieved the scale of, of, of other tech categories yet for the most part. So that's kind of what we're, what we're looking to do is back really talented mm-hmm. founders whom we can hopefully really lean into and, and give, our ex, give our relationships and expertise to. And, and help them look for the landmines and the opportunities. <laughs> We're actually doing a school visit to mm-hmm. KIPP schools here in Chicago next week when a, one of the founders, they're doing a beta test of, around a very personalized math product that helps teachers assemble information about the students and then kind of change, you know, and it helps them personalize their own learning delivery to individual students within the class based on what they're quickly learning from the AI in the platform and so we're really excited, you know. So I, I think we're seeing very cool things like that. As I heard you talking, I couldn't help but remember one of the lines that uh, Bill Gates said when he was there talking to us. He said he was clear about what investing in ed tech is all about for for him. It's it's about philanthropy. <laughs> so he's well, yeah. He sort of Bill Bill sort of went down a Bill went down a bad path there for a second. I think Jesse sort of pulled him back in, you know, suggesting that it. It needed right. to be philanthropic, and then he kind of quickly tried to, you know, correct himself. But he's frustrated by right. his philanthropic investments. So I think the world of what they've done, because they mm-hmm. took a lot of risks, and a lot of it didn't work. And at least we now have the research and the data around what did, you know, what has and hasn't worked. And I think they're, you know, doubling down and putting a billion dollars right. into math is just looking at looking at our math numbers and how far behind our kids are, and then follow into you know, follow that into college is, I think. Is great. I love the fact that they're they haven't given up because because <laughs> you know, there are folks who have who've given right. up right on the philanthropy for education, and they haven't given up at all. And yeah. I love that. I did. I did. I did want to kill him when he said that. <laughs> I, but. Fi- I figured, but he got a good laugh or a lot of moans. It was so true. let me let me ask you a final question as we we wrap up. I recognize that you're still recovering from the April summit. But what are your thoughts about going into the next ASU GSV summit? Where, where does where do you go from here? I know you've talked a little bit about some of the things you're thinking about, but any any other teasers as as you start planning for 2024? 
Yeah, I, I think we're hoping that we've got, we hope we're going to have some windows of, op, you know, some windows mm-hmm. of optimism. And I think we're already playing with the team around that. That I think we, we are thinking hard about the ability to execute a real expo that's going to give, you know, more practitioners access to, to, to providers of, of tech, you know, providers of technology solutions so they can, can do more hands-on. I think that'll be an interesting addition to, to the event. I've, you know, fallen in love with a uh, podcast that mm-hmm. Barry Weiss right. spoke this year with a guy named Tim Urban. And we're going to have Tim speak this next year. We've already booked him. And, you know, his point is that there are, you know, that there are echo chambers and there are innovation labs. And, and it's okay to have an echo chamber as long as the echo chamber is listening right. to other echo chambers or listening to other perspectives. And I think that our objective and is to really never be an echo chamber, that we are always engaging in both sides of dialogue. And I think we're going to sit back and make sure we're doing that and probably even have a whole stage where we have people talk, you know, debate. You made the point about having having this under Secretary of Education, with, who is a wonderful mm-hmm. human, but, with, but who many people disagree <laughs> with, to have James Cabal there. And, and he was fantastic, by the way, for doing it because he didn't have to. And I, I, I apply, I mean, that was the definition of an innovation lab right. when you're willing to not stay, stay in your echo chamber and you come out and, and talk to, to folks in the, in the innovation lab and see where, where that goes. So I think that's actually a big focus of ours that we, that we stay in innovation mm-hmm. lab and innovation lab requires that we're talking about issues from multiple perspectives and respecting people right. we disagree with. And that's what I hope we continue to push my my credit my partner Michael Mo who's who's always been the most passionate and impassioned on that issue and yeah so we're already sort of booking people with the intention of 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 teeing things up like that so Great. yeah so that's what we do and then we'll anybody's interested in India we're probably going to do a, a a much larger event in India in in January or February All right. so well that sounds like fun we'll have that too. <laughs> Mm-hmm. All right. Listen, Deborah, I really appreciate you taking the time and talking to me here on The Rant. Really have enjoyed our conversation. Enjoy the work that you all have done with the summit. And I look forward to 2024. So thanks for joining me. Awesome. Well, we always we always want you in the program, <laughs> Eloy. Happy to get you, get you booked already. So thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Deborah. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us here on The Rant. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button. And if you went to the summit, please let me know your thoughts. What did you enjoy about the summit? What do you hope to see in the coming year? And leave me your comments about this episode. And to hear more episodes, subscribe to this channel. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you soon.